praise God. I just wanted to share through some th- share through some things. Um, God has just put this on my heart to share with the believers, and I think it's something that's very important that we understand who Satan and his forces are, that we understand what the Word says about these things, and that we don't get caught up in superstition. So that's what the word protects us against. It protects us against myth and superstition, which, sadly, religion can descend into. What do I mean by myth and superstition? Myth is just stuff that somebody made up. Superstition is stuff that sometimes works. And we don't want to live like that when we have the sure word of God. When we talk about Satan and his demons, We have to define demons are evil angels who sin against God who now work evil. Now, we in this church, we know this, but I'm going to lay it out in a real, um, just break it down verse by verse, because what I want to do is I want to put it in such a way that we can share this in our own to other believers that are not here and that we can have Bible studies based off of this so that we can talk to people and also so we can know what we confront. When we go out in evangelism, I believe we confront demons on a regular basis. How do we deal with that? I don't think that there is mystery in how to deal with it. I think that the word of God is clear on those things. And so we'll get into that. Let's turn to Genesis 1, and we're going to be doing a lot of turning because we want to prove everything by God's word so that there will not be any speculation. But look at Genesis 1.31. It says there, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then, Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord has made. So where did demons come from? Well, somewhere between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1, Satan rebelled. Right? If God made his creation and it was very good, and if you look at it, it says, if you look further into it, we can look in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Right? We think of host as referring to angels. Everything spiritual was made. Everything physical was made. Everything that was made was made then, and it was all very good. What happened? Now, one scripture that we often turn to here is Isaiah 14, when it describes Satan's fall. And the thought is, and I know some people say, well, that's, that's, how do you know that that's talking about Satan? But when you look at prophetic works, like you said, we can't uh, be 100% sure, but look at, Genesis 4, I mean, Isaiah 14. He says this in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, 
who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home. All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loath branch. What is it saying here? Well, let's think of it this way. Isaiah was talking about something that may apply to the king of Babylon, but it doesn't all apply to the king of Babylon. And that's where we get that launching off point. When we talk about prophecy, think of it this way. When we look in the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, he talks about these locusts coming and destroying all the land, right? But do the locusts do all the destructive things that Joel says they do? No. Joel is looking at the locusts as just a picture of the judgment to come. Where in Isaiah, he's looking at this evil king as a picture of all evil kings. Where does all these evil kings get their power from? He says, how you are fallen from heaven. Did a king fall from heaven? Did he lay all the nations low? See, some of this stuff just does not apply to a man. He said, I'll make myself like the most high. It's questionable if the king of Babylon even knew if there was a most high. He had many gods that he worshipped. So when you look at this scripture, and scriptures like it, there's also one in Ezekiel that's quite like this one. Uh, what we get is we kind of get a picture or a glimpse into the heart of Satan. But what we do know is this. Whether you want to look at Isaiah 14 as showing Satan or not, we do know that Satan fell somewhere between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1. He had to. Because in Genesis 3.1, he is working evil. And in Genesis 1.31, there is no evil. Now, when we look at demons, the second thing we notice is that Satan is their head, right? We'll look at a few passages. So let's have some people help me out with this. And then we'll also look at the different names of Satan that are called in the word. So let's have somebody read. We'll have some people raise their hands to, to, um, to volunteer. So Job 1.6, Brother Charles, 1 Chronicles 21.1. Brother Cliff, Zechariah 3.1, Brother Dwayne. And then we'll look at the names of Satan, Matthew 4.1, Aunt Mickey, Genesis 3.1, Mom, Matthew 10.25, Brother Jamar, John 12.31, Chantel, we got two more. Ephesians 2 2. Grandma Holt. And then Matthew 13 19. Charmone. All right. And with some of those, I didn't turn to every passage, so I'll give you different verses that also say similar things. So let's look at Job 1 6. Who has that? And read that, please. Job 1 6. Job. Job. So he can turn to it quick because he just press a few buttons. He's there. All right. All the angels come. They have to give account to God. Who comes with them? There's Satan. First Chronicles 21.1. 1. 
All right, who stood against Israel? Satan did. Zechariah 3 1. All right, what Zechariah sees is something very interesting. In the New Testament, picks up on this same image. In it, we got a courtroom. The angel of the Lord, who in our study on Thursday night, which I invite you guys to attend if you want to, on Thursday night we learned that the angel of the Lord is in fact Jesus Christ. So we have on one hand the angel of the Lord is a defense lawyer. Who's the prosecution? It's Satan. Satan. What is he called in the New Testament? The accuser of the brethren, right? So let's look at some common names for Satan. We call him the devil, Matthew 4, 1. Devil, right? You also see the devil listed in Matthew 13, 39, Matthew 25, 41, Revelations 12, 9, Revelations 20, verse 2. Then he's also called a serpent, Genesis 3, 1. All right, he's called a devil, now he's called a serpent. Serpent, he's also listed as a serpent in verse 14. He's also listed as a serpent in 2 Corinthians 11.3, Revelations 12.9, Revelations 22. Beelzebub, Matthew 10.25. They call Jesus Satan. And one term that he used to call Satan is Beelzebub. Where does that come from? Actually, that is interesting, but it literally means Lord of the Flies, but it comes from on the use of Baal in the Old Testament. But it's kind of where we get, and we'll get into this further on, where people always ask, well, where were demons in the Old Testament? Well, what was idol worship? We'll talk about that. Matthew 12, 24, and 27. Luke eleven fifteen. all call Satan Beelzebub. John 12, 31. Who has that for us? John 12, 31, who had that? Did I give that one? Maybe I didn't give that one. Let me read it then. John 12, 31. Who said they have it? Oh, go ahead, Brother Cliff. The ruler of this world. He's called the ruler of this world in John 14, 30. John 16, 11. He's called the ruler of this world. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? He's called the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 2. Right. He made it clear that he was talking about Satan, right? And then... He's called the evil one. Matthew 13, 19. What happens when we try to give out the good gospel? The evil one comes and tries to snatch it away. Right? What could be more evil than that? 1 John 2, 13 also calls him the evil. So now let's look into his activity. Those are the things of Satan. You can tell... One of the things is, if you study the names of God, what do you learn about God? 
You learn his character. If you study the word, the names of Satan, what do you learn about Satan? His character. So let's look at some activities that demons and Satan specifically likes to do. The first one is he's the originator of sin. Let's look at Genesis 3.1, which you had already, so let's read that again. Well, if we notice this, there was no sin at that time. What is he trying to introduce into the world? Sin. What does he say to the woman? He said, did God really say? He started off with a thought that if she agreed with it, it already would have been sin. Think of how tricky that question is, right? If she would have flippantly said yes, that would already have been a sin. And she would have fallen. Because she would have denied what God had already clearly said. John 8:44. This is Jesus. He's arguing with the Pharisees, and this is what he says. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It says, He was a murderer from the beginning. From the beginning. In other words, murder associated with Satan. Now, we learned about this in our class this morning, but what is man created in? He's created in the image of God. What is murder? Murder is one of the reasons that God judges murder so harshly is because it is our attempt or a man's attempt to destroy God, right? Uh, I gave this illustration this morning, but if you came to my house and all your pictures was on my wall and they all had knives through them, what would you think? Yeah, I hate you. Right? Every time that somebody kills an image of God, what do they think about God? See, murder is not, see, people say, well, he just had a murder of passion. No, that person hated God. That's what murder is. It's a hatred of God. It's not, it's, yeah, we hate our fellow men, but we hate God. First John 3 8. I'll read it. It says there, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What has Satan been doing from the beginning? He's been sinning. He's where sin in many ways came from. The second thing that we know about Satan is he likes to oppose or destroy every work of God. So let's have people turn to this. Who can turn to Revelations 12, 9 for me? Grandma Hope will. And then if Brother Charles, if you could turn to Psalms 106, 37. Yep. And I'll read this. So we're going to skim through this one. But this is the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. And if you look at the things that Satan does, I just want to... In some ways, we can marvel at some of the things that he is willing to do. Because you got to think of it this way. And this is the kind of the, the, this is the way that you got to look at it. When Satan talks to me, he can bamboozle me, right? I don't really know what he can and can't do. 
But when he's talking to Jesus, he's talking to somebody who knows the extent of his powers. Right? So think of it this way. When he tells Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world, he's not lying. Is he? If he was lying, he picked the wrong person to lie to. I don't think that Satan is that stupid that he would have lied to Jesus. I think he was telling him the truth. I think he said, you know what, I got all these kingdoms. These are all in my back pocket. If you bow down and worship me, I give them to you. That was a tough thing about talking to my friend Brand yesterday. I hope he comes to church. Pray for him. But he want to have an easy life here. I had to tell him the truth. If all you want is an easy life here, Satan can also offer that too. That's just the truth of the matter. <coughs> Revelations 12, 9. It's his tactic. What's his tactic? He likes to deceive, right? Psalm 106, 37. What does Satan like to do? He likes to kill. Right? When we look at what Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He's a murderer and a liar. What is his tactics? To murder and to lie. Right? He loves to do those things. He loves to do that. So number three, the third thing we need to learn about Satan is this. He's limited by God's power. And he has limited power. So we'll turn to three passages for this. Actually, we'll turn to five. Job 1, 2. I mean, Job 1, 12. I'm sorry, who can read that for us? Job, Chantel will read Job 1, 12. And also I'll have you do um, the second chapter, verse 6 of Job 2. James 4, 7. Brother Dwayne. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Brother Charles. Isaiah 46, chapter verse 9 through 10. And then Daniel, chapter 2, verse 27 through 29. Brother Cliff. All right. So let's look at Job 1, 12. Satan wanted to hurt Job. Who did he have to ask permission to do that? Let's look at James 4, 7. All right. As powerful as Satan is, right? Think of it this way. If me and Satan got into a fist fight, I would automatically lose, right? But what does the scripture say? If I resist Satan, he will flee from me. Now, can somebody in the world do that? No, they don't have any power to resist their master. But those of us whose master is the Lord Jesus Christ, we can resist him and he will flee. That means he has limited power over us, right? Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Who's the beginning and the end of things? Only God do. Does Satan know a lot? He knows a lot, but let me tell you this, and I think this is something that many believers don't fully understand. Satan cannot read our minds. 
Satan does not know the future. Right? Now we're going to get into this further, but one point that Satan doesn't read our minds is when you rebuke a demon, what you supposed to do? You supposed to think the prayer or say the prayer? Why can't you just think it? He can't hear you. Right? He can't hear you. What do, if we pray to God, can we pray in our mind? Why? Because he can hear our minds. Can Satan hear our minds? Daniel chapter 2. All right, let's stop. Right? Daniel knew exactly what he dreamed. Why? Because the dream was in his head. Now, think about it this way. Daniel was a wise man. Whose power was he operating based off of? It was God. What were the magicians operating off of? They had powers too, or they would not have been there, right? What are the Chaldeans doing? They're doing something that's demonic, right? And they have some kind of knowledge of something. But do they know what's in the king's head? Let me put it this way. If Satan had the ability to know what was in the king's head, Daniel chapter 2 would not be there. But he doesn't. One thing that we look at Satan, and we have to be careful, because I believe we are so blessed, because we live in a time period that's different than any other. And what I mean by that is, when you look at Satan's activity, it's different depending on what age it's in. So let me explain this. Let's first look at, we're going to look at it in five different stages. And the five different stages really have to do with the redemption. In the Old Testament, many people say, man, I don't know a lot about demons in the Old Testament. It seems like we see a lot of demons in the gospel, right? But let's think of it this way. What were demons doing in the Old Testament? And I believe this is the case, and this is why the gospel was so shocking when it first came out. Demons had no limit to their power. They was doing whatever they wanted to do. They were deceiving entire nations. Look at it this way. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 16 and 7. And we already read Psalm 106. But what does it say? Psalm 106 says that when people were sacrificing their children to idols, who were they sacrificing them to? Demons. What does Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 16 and 17 say? Let's turn there. Is this? They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. But what were those abominations? Verse 17, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. They were demons. And what I mean to say that by that limit, I don't want you to think that they had the power of God. But what I simply mean is this. People did not have the ability to resist demons in any way in the Old Testament. Think of it this way. When Saul had a demon that oppressed him, did he call anybody to cast that demon out? Because they didn't have that. They couldn't cast out no demons. All they could do was play some music and pacify that demon. In my view, 
they were similar to what we do to the demons that we got nowadays. We give them a pill and hope they chill a little bit. Um, that's what they were doing in the Old Testament. And it was about just as effective as what we do. All we could do is lock people up and hope they stay in the institution for long enough. And maybe they die and then we can act like the problem had been solved. That's what they was hoping to do with Saul. They had no victory over these demons. But in Jesus' ministry, things are different. Let's look at Mark one twenty-seven. Who can read that for us? Brother Aaron. And then Matthew 12, 28 through 29. Brother Jamal. Yep. real clear about that that was not that was new that was new that's what I mean when I say we should be so thankful that we live when we live because they did not have the ability to do anything to demons until Jesus came look at what happened in Matthew 12 and I know I gave a sermon on this so this is really um, settling on my mind but look at Matthew 12 28 through 29 at this and I want you to think back on a sermon I gave in Luke chapter 12 it may have been Luke 13 I can't remember exactly but there was a woman who came into the synagogue and she had a stooped back she was called a daughter of Abraham what does that term mean that means that she was saved and she stabbed the ability to resist spiritual forces the way we do. Why? We got the Holy Spirit. During the New Covenant age, victory is given to us, the church. Look with me in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, our, in your name. Now, some might, this, the reason I like this passage is because some people want me, they want to say, well, you know, apostles had the ability to cast out demons. 72, there's not 72 apostles. I don't care how, many, how you want to count up the apostles, right? There's big debate on who the apostles are. Now, how many was it? Was it 15? Was it 12? Was it 13? And we go through all these numbers, but let's just say this, it wasn't 72, right? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, it's just saying that he was talking and even, even like, for example, his power of his word went forward and people listened to it and even the demons had to listen. That's how much power his word had. It didn't just impact men, it impacted evil spirits. So he said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They said, man, we never had nothing like this. The whole thought of it being that when we look at this age that we live in, we live in an area of victory given to the church. Look at Revelation 20.
let's read verse 1. We're going to read here. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized a dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and stood it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. One of y'all men could be free to go back there check on matters. When we speak of demons, you can guarantee that they'll come. Right? When we speak of demons, you can guarantee that they're going to come. Now, we live in an age now where we still got to confront demons on a regular basis, right? They can be in people. But they have no power over us. We as believers can't confront them. We have the power to confront them because we have the Holy Spirit. That's why it's okay for us to send some men and you know what they're going to deal with. But before Jesus came back, they couldn't do that. Some demons would come and nobody could deal with that person. During the millennium age, Satan will be bound, but that doesn't mean evil will be gone. Why? Because evil is still within us, right? Satan will no longer tempt, so the multiplication of evil will be lower, right? In other words, people ain't going to be as tempted, but you're still tempted by yourself, right? It don't take nobody whispering in my ear if somebody good-looking walked by for me to lust on. It don't take that much whispering to make me lust on that, right? That come from within me. Yes. Somebody leaves some money lying around. I could report it or I could take it home. Don't take no demon to tell me that. Right? We tempt ourselves. So during the millennium, I believe that, and this is speculation here, but I believe that one of the purposes of the millennium is to show that sin is not just because of Satan. There's sin in us. And there will still be evil in that age by people who are not saved. But then, in Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them will be thrown down in a lake of fire, and the beast and the frost prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great right throne set up. And see, that's the end of all sin. Once God's throne is set up, the activity of Satan is over, and the activity of evil is over. So next week we'll look at demons and us. What do we need to do when we see demons? Common questions we can have like can a Satan, can a Christian be possessed? How do we recognize demonic activity? And how do we deal with demonic activity? We're going to look at all these things starting next week. Any questions before we go on from there? is, yeah, well here's my speculation is that I believe that it's something man is material and immaterial. Right? They're spiritual and they're physical and I believe that our mind is partially physical but it's also partially spiritual. And I think that's deep, that spirit that um, drugs put us in a state where we can be more easily influenced by the spiritual. And I think in many ways it's a gateway. But I think there are other gateways that people don't talk about. Um, 
I believe that sex is a gateway. I really do believe that. And if you look at witchcraft, it's pretty much proven. Almost every form of witchcraft uses some kind of form of sexual activity. I believe that murder is a gateway. Killing is a gateway. Even killing of animals, right? A lot of these things, sacrifice random animals, sacrifice things. Violence is a gateway. Death is a gateway. They don't know, right? If you think about Satan, how does Satan really look? He's beautiful, right? He's absolutely beautiful. Here's another thing. If Satan and an angel was to stand next to each other, would you be able to pick them out? You probably wouldn't be able to, right? You probably would not be able to. Now, who's more powerful? Satan and his angels or God and his angels? Well, even if we take God out the picture, because he's all-powerful, nothing more powerful than him. His angels are more powerful. Why? First off, it's more of them. Right? Scripture talks about two-thirds are still good, one-third fail. But the other thing is, is, what does evil do to power? What does evil do? It's corrosive, right? Evil is corrosive. Evil destroys those who hold it. That is true of the spiritual forces as much as it's true of God's forces, right? Much as it's true in this world, right? If you're sitting there and you're trying to be a dictator, the evils that you use will destroy you. Think about Haman. What made Haman rise to the position that he was in? It was actually his godly qualities, right? He woke up early, so early that the king had stayed up late that night and couldn't sleep. And Haman was there early that morning. In other words, Haman was so early, it was probably still dark outside. It was probably four in the morning, three in the morning. That's how early he was up there to ask for Mordecai to be hanged. He was an on-time person. He was a dedicated person. What made him rise to the power that he was at was the godly qualities that he had. What made him fall? His pride, his murder, his hate. You look at Saddam Hussein. How did he rise to the position that he was in? Well, it's hereditary too. But he was a cunning person. He was a smart person. He was a charming person. But what made him fall? His pride, his arrogance. He thought nobody could beat him. Then later on they found him in a little rat hole. Right? But that's how the end of all evil men is. Their evils are what destroy them. You look at a lot of people in the homosexual movement fighting AIDS. Their evil causes their destruction. And I believe the same is true of Satan and his forces. Angels have their power from reflecting the glory of God. Where does he get his power from? I mean, some of it is innate. But some of it, he just kind of try to twist men to do what he wants them to do. That's the best he can do. So I believe that in some senses, we have to have a lot of respect for Satan. But in some senses, we don't need to fear him. This is what I believe that we should view Satan as. A lot like I view the mayor. I don't much like the mayor much. I don't much like the mayor. I don't think he's doing a good job. I think in many ways, he's an evil man. But you know what? He's in his position of authority because God put him in that position of authority. So I can respect him even if I disagree with him. 
I respect the position that he holds. I believe that's how we ought to be with demons, and we'll talk further on why some people say some wild things about demons and why I'm not so much supportive of that for that same reason. These forces are still appointed to their positions by God. So we should still have respect, even if we rebuke. Remember that it's not us who's saying we're better than them. It's God who's telling them that they need to depart. So let's keep that in mind, amen? All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, Lord, and it guides us and disciplines our thoughts. In your name we pray, amen.